Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of the Jadeva Show. I'm your host, Jacob Valier. Um, wanted to start off by, uh, we'll talk about Carson Wentz and other stuff in a little bit, but um, this week, as many of you know, I'm a student at Liberty University, and this weekend uh, is Liberty is hosting college for a weekend, which is um, basically predicated towards uh seniors in high school who have interest in going to Liberty, they get to basically quote unquote live at Liberty um, for the weekend. They bring their parents and their siblings oftentimes, uh, and they just get to go to classes and get to go to convocation, get to walk around campus for a weekend just to see what life at Liberty is like. Um, Let me just say, first of all, I never did that when I was um, thinking about coming to Liberty, but I mean, good Lord, this weekend has been the worst college for a weekend that I've ever experienced in my now three years at Liberty um, because the traffic when CFAW guests come to Liberty I mean they bring everybody and by the way parents that are visiting right now don't know how to drive and they don't know how to use a parking garage or a roundabout and it has just been crazy just trying to drive through campus trying to find parking at campus last night I went to a Liberty basketball game, and the time it took for me to get to my car versus the time it took uh, to pull out of the parking garage was about 30 minutes. Like, it took 30 minutes to get out of there. It was awful. Uh, and it probably took about 10 minutes for even to for me to even get out of my parking spot because it was so packed. Um, that's just a quick little rant. I mean, I'm I'm sick of CFAW and I'm sick. I'm just glad I don't live on campus anymore, so I don't have to deal with it nearly as much. Um, but I did go to Liberty's Convocation today just for the second time this school year. I live off campus, so off campus students aren't required to go uh, the same way that on campus students are. But I went today because uh, Carson Wentz uh, of the Eagles came and spoke today, and I was really impressed. I, I, I went in with uh, pretty you know, fair expectations. I can't, I showed up wearing my Dwayne Haskins jersey because that's just sort of how I am. I'd like to, I came in with a Redskins shirt and a jersey over it uh, to let everybody know, you know, what's up. Even though obviously the Eagles as a franchise are just so much better than the Redskins in any every way. Had to represent my team, but I showed up and listening to Carson Wentz talk, I mean, he is a bright, bright guy. He is very smart. He's very sharp, solid, all of these things. Strong Christian guy. Uh, it was very refreshing uh, listening to him speak. And I was sitting there, and it really made me think about the state of the NFL quarterback. There are a lot of good guys in the NFL these days at the quarterback position, like Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Drew Brees, Lamar Jackson, Kirk Cousins, Nick Foles. Uh, who was talked about plenty during convocation today, and Carson Wentz. Um, first of all, Carson Wentz is very tall. I did not, well, at least compared to our campus pastor, he was, he seemed very tall. I don't, uh, let me, I'll get a number on how tall he is. There you go, he's six foot five, and for somebody who's five, nine and a half myself, six foot five is awfully tall. Um, so yeah, listening to him talk, yeah, he's great. He's got the AO1 Foundation. AO1 stands for uh, Audience of One, and he's referring to Jesus. 
uh, when he's talking about that, which is awesome. He's talking about all the humanitarian work he's done there in Haiti along some with some of his own Eagles teammates. Uh, was very just refreshing to hear. Uh, and it also got me thinking about Carson Wentz, who's played four seasons in the NFL. And I th- look, I'm a Redskins fan. I will find every reason to trash on Carson Wentz, trash on the Eagles organization and their fans. I think they have one of the three worst fans uh fan bases in all of the NFL. Them, the Cowboys, and the Patriots, I think, are all the three worst fan bases in the NFL. Um, but Carson Wentz is an extremely likable guy, so I've always sort of looked at him differently than I used to look at other Eagles quarterbacks, such as Donovan McNabb and Michael Vick. Carson Wentz has had an unbelievable amount of unnecessary criticism since entering the NFL back in 2016. Now, he plays for a high a pretty big market uh, team in a big market city like Philadelphia. The Eagles are one of the most, you know, marketable and most popular teams and franchises in all of the NFL. So I think he's going to be looked at under a, you know, sort of a bigger microscope than other quarterbacks are. But, I mean, some people talk about Carson Wentz like he's literally Ryan Leaf or Jamarcus Russell reincarnated. And it, it makes... No sense. 2017, the year the Eagles won the Super Bowl, keep in mind they won it without Wentz. They won it with Nick Foles at quarterback. Carson Wentz played 13 games. He missed the last three games that season and all three playoff games the Eagles played. He was on pace to throw for almost 4,100 yards, 41 touchdowns to only nine interceptions. 41 touchdowns, nine interceptions is extremely difficult to accomplish. That is... That is a really good number. He would have been the MVP had he not missed the last three games. He would have been MVP over Tom Brady that season easily. And then we're talking about Carson Wentz differently. We're talking about Super Bowl winning quarterback Carson Wentz. We're talking about MVP Carson Wentz. That injury really derailed a ton of how people perceived and talked about Carson Wentz because he missed those three games. because And really, three and a quarter, three and a half games because he got hurt towards the end of that Rams game back in 2017. He brought the Eagles basically to life. They were dead in the water at 5-7 and seven this past season. And Carson Wentz comes in and rattles off four straight wins to get them to a division title and get them into the playoffs. They've won two of the last three division titles in an extremely competitive division. And I get it. Everyone's argument is, oh, the last four weeks of the season, they had to play the Giants twice. They had to play the Cowboys. They had to play the Redskins. Right. Those are all division rivals. Those are all extremely tough games, no matter how bad or good the other team is. Because those teams, trust me, the Giants and the Redskins have been bad teams for a while now. They're, They're historically great franchises, but they have been bad for Close to a decade, outside of one Super Bowl run by the Giants. And and one rookie season from Robert Griffin III, RG3. And those games, ask anybody on the Eagles, those games are just as tough as when they played Dallas. And that was their toughest team that they played in that four-week stretch. But Carson Wentz won all of those games, didn't throw an interception in any of those games, while playing with guys like Greg Ward, and J.J.R. Chega Whiteside, right? 
and and drop prone Nelson Aguilar while all of his best skill players were sitting on the bench injured. Carson Wentz did that. And who knows if they win that playoff game against Seattle in the wild card round if Wentz doesn't get hurt. Because Wentz only threw four passes before going down with another injury on a cheap shot from Jadeveon Clowney. Or else, who knows what happens? Who knows if Carson Wentz pulls out a playoff win, and a win in his first career playoff start against a, a, a superior opponent? Sure. Yeah. The teams that he beat this year might have stunk. Wentz was 2-3 and three this season against teams with winning records. You can't help who you play. That means he only played 5 out of 16 teams that had winning records. This is a notion that a lot of NFL fans sort of have adopted over the years. If you get hurt, that automatically makes you bad. Like, he can't be that good if he keeps getting hurt so often. I mentioned a couple days ago Jordan Reed. If Jordan Reed hadn't gotten so hurt, he would have been great. Listen, Jordan Reed was great when he was on the field. He was outstanding. I get it, the best ability is availability, but when you are available, how you perform matters when you can play. And when Carson Wentz has played, he has been a Pro Bowl MVP caliber quarterback who has a Super Bowl ring in which he did a ton of work to get him there. They didn't play in that game, but they were awfully good, and a lot of it was because of Carson Wentz. So... You know, it really made me think, seeing guys like Skip Bayless and Max Kellerman this season talk about Carson Wentz like he was the second coming of the devil himself. Listen, the guy's good. 97 touchdowns, only 35 interceptions in his career. He, he's, he's doing just fine for himself. He's entering year five. He's only going to get better. He's just entering his physical prime. I think he's one of the most talented quarterbacks in all of the NFL. I think he's got enough talent and enough potential and upside to make it into the Hall of Fame one day. Now, that's a bold statement, I know. But he's got a Super Bowl ring. He's got an MVP caliber season playing for a franchise that has churned out popular players after popular players. Carson Wentz is legit, everybody. Stop imagining that Dak Prescott is better than Carson Wentz, because he's not. Stop telling yourself that Matthew Stafford is better than Carson Wentz. Stop telling yourself that Jameis Winston is better than Carson Wentz, because he's not. Carson Wentz, when he's healthy and when he's on, is arguably a top-five quarterback in this league. And a league that all of a sudden has incredible, elite, athletic quarterbacks like Mahomes and Lamar and Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz is every bit as talented as all three of those guys. But no one ever talks about him because he gets hurt. And a lot of NFL fans mistake getting hurt for not being very good. Tom Brady missed an entire season. Peyton Manning missed an entire season. Aaron Rodgers has missed a ton of playing time in his career. And a lot of guys will look back on like a season where Aaron Rodgers misses the majority of the season, thinks Aaron Rodgers isn't good anymore. Well, when he was on the field, he was actually, you know, the Packers were four and one or or five and zero. Oh. The same thing with LeBron James last season in the NBA. 
LeBron misses the majority of the season. Oh, the Lakers are no good. Oh, LeBron's lost his step at age 34. No, he hasn't. He just got hurt. That doesn't mean he's good anymore. He's not good anymore. It doesn't mean he's still not the best player in the NBA, which he still is, by the way. You can give me Luka Doncic. You can give me Giannis Antetokounmpo. You can give me Kawhi Leonard. LeBron's still the best player in the league. And when Carson Wentz is healthy, I'm sorry. He's still a top five or six quarterback in the NFL. So those are my thoughts on Carson Wentz. He had a great uh, great convo this morning. Uh, really sharp. Really knows his stuff. Uh, and he seems like a great guy in a league where there are a lot of great guys these days. want to talk a little bit of hockey. Uh, the Caps at one point had the best record in the NHL this season. They have now slipped to second in their own division behind Pittsburgh. They're actually currently tied with the Penguins for first, but they don't hold the tiebreaker. Uh, they lost last night, again, 4-3 to in overtime to the lowly Montreal Canadiens. And, I mean, look, there are some highlights. Braden Holpe made a lot of great saves on breakaway shots from Montreal. Alex Ovechkin scored goal number 699. A goal away from 700 would be the 8th player in NHL history to do that. The great eight, in my opinion, the greatest goal scorer of our generation in hockey. But the cap, the caps stink right now. They've lost five of their last six. They've lost seven of their last ten. And since December 21st, they're 11-11-1. That's not very good. That one at the end counts as a loss because it was an overtime, so they're basically a game under 500 in the last two months. That's that's not the cap's way. You could say it's Holtby. You can say it's Todd Reardon, the coach. But the defense is terrible. There's nothing Holtby can do sometimes. He's made a lot of great saves. Same with our backup, Ilya Samsonov. They make a lot of great saves. But the defense stinks. Neutral zone turnovers, overskating, bad stick handling. I mean, it's just sloppy hockey everywhere you turn. It doesn't look good. The Caps, you know, fans or a couple months ago were talking like, we're going to win another Stanley Cup. I'm like, hold on there. There are some good teams. Tampa Bay is not going away. Pittsburgh is not going away. The reigning champion St. Louis Blues aren't going away. There are a lot of really talented teams in the NHL right now. And the Capitals are reeling. Over the last couple of weeks, they've been one of the worst teams in hockey. After for so long, it looked like they were the best team in hockey. They're not going away. Boston's not going away. Toronto is there. Philadelphia, Columbus, the Islanders. There are a lot, there's a lot of competition in the Eastern Conference alone in the NHL. And the Capitals, look, they're tied for first in the Metropolitan Division. They're tied for the third most points in the East because they've got the talent. A lot of those guys are champions on the Capitals. They need to figure out something. And I tell you what, Caps fans need to be excited about their first-round pick from a year ago, Connor McMichael. He is outstanding. Another multi-game point, uh, multi-point game yesterday. Plays for the London Knights. 19-year-old kid from Ontario. 2019 first-round pick by the Capitals. 
In 44 games this season, he has put up 92 points. 41 goals, 51 assists. Now I get it. It's not. It's an affiliate of the NHL. It's not the real thing. But he's got 29 multi-point games. He's got five hat tricks. Is he the next Ovechkin? Is he the next Backstrom? One day, Connor McMichael, maybe when he's 20 or 21, will come in and he will provide some much-needed defensive help and some much-needed offensive help for a team that hasn't scored a lot of goals recently. But they need to get better quick. The playoffs are only a couple months away. And it's not like they play every game. They play once every couple of days, maybe once every three days. They need to get this thing figured out if they want to have another cup run. And I believe they have it in them. Because they have a lot of assistant coaches from that Stanley Cup season a couple years ago. A ton of players. They've got their goaltender. It's just the defense is sloppy. Their power play is sloppy. I think they've given up either the most or the second most shorthanded goals in the NHL this season. There was a stretch where they had given up a shorthanded goal in like four or five straight games. It, it's sloppiness. When you're, when you're bad on defense, you find yourself being bad on the power play. You find yourself having bad streaks on the penalty kill. There are going to be those moments. They need to be better. And they need to do it real soon. Because right now, they are reeling. And it doesn't look pretty at all. A couple of headlines from yesterday. Trey Young of the Atlanta Hawks. First 50-point game of his career in last night's win over the Miami Heat. An upset. He was 18 of 19 from the free throw line and 8 of 15 from 3. Only three people have scored 50 points in a game at a younger age. Brandon Jennings, Devin Booker, and thrice by LeBron James. Uh, so that is Trey Young. You know, a lot of people telling me about Trey Young, oh, he shouldn't have been an all-star. He shouldn't have been an all-star over guys like Bradley Beal. Look, I don't know what the slander is on Trey Young. He's on a terrible team. Kid is 21 years old, putting up 30 and 9 for a terrible team. I don't see the slander with him. He's playing heavy minutes right now, and he's producing. 27 points February 12th against Cleveland. 29 February 10th against Orlando. Oh, on efficient shooting, 8 of 17 against the Cavs, 7 of 19 against the Magic. He had a hiccup, 13 for 30 against the Knicks uh, about a week and a half ago, but that was in almost 48 minutes, a whole game's worth. That game went to overtime. He's on a bad team. Okay, and it's going to be hard to really look better than you are when you're masked by such a bad team. But a guy averaging 30 and 9 at the age of 21, starting in an all-star game, and now is putting up 50 against good teams like the Miami Heat. I don't I don't I just don't get what people are attacking Trey Young over. I think he's excellent. I think he's got a great career ahead of him. I don't really have a comparison uh, an NBA comparison for Trey Young quite yet. Uh, but I think he's on his way to being somebody really good. Uh, Joel Embiid last night put up a season-high 39 points on 10 of 20 shooting. Uh, was 18 of 19 from the free throw line in 41 minutes. Uh, 16 rebounds and 2 assists, 5 steals, 2 blocks uh, in a win over the Brooklyn Nets. 
he was outstanding. Uh, Joel Embiid's been outstanding. And look, I don't, I, I'm not as hard on Joel Embiid as a lot of people are. He's never played more than 64 games in a season. Okay, I think he's good. I think he's really good. I don't think he's the superstar player that everybody will want to come to Philadelphia and play for. But this quote from last night's game was just, it didn't sit well with me. But the All-Star game, just proving I'm here, I belong. And being the best player in the world, I just intend to keep coming out every single night and just play hard and trying to get wins and just go out and try to win a championship. Close quote from Joel Embiid of the 76ers. Look, I get calling yourself the best player in the game, trying to feel like you've got that moxie, you've got that confidence. But he hasn't played 200 games yet, and it's his sixth season in, in the NBA. He's brittle. He's injury prone. And he'll have some stinkers out there when he plays. In late November, in a loss to the Toronto Raptors, Joel Embiid put up zero points. Zero for 11 from the field. Zero for three from the free throw line. I'm sorry. When you have 14 shots to get a point in an NBA game and you don't score once, you can't, that, you can't call yourself the best player in the game. It's, it's easy as that. And, and get to a conference finals before you start putting that label on yourself. Because now you're looking at, you know, way more attention. Because, oh, Joel Embiid thinks he's the best player in the game. Come on. So that, that bothered me. I was like, there's only like a few people that can call themselves the best player in the game. And there's really only one best player in the game, and that's still LeBron James. You could argue Giannis, who looks to become a back-to-back -back MVP, which he deserves it. Giannis is tremendous. But when you think best player in the game, you never think Joel Embiid. When you think best play, best team in the NBA, you don't think Philadelphia 76ers. Sorry. Sorry, Joel Embiid. You're very good. But I just thought you're not anywhere close to being the best player in basketball. Say what you want about yourself. Finally, last little bit of news. Mike Fires, pitcher for the Oakland A's and former pitcher for the 2017 Houston Astros, claiming that he's received death threats over being the whistleblower over the Astros cheating scandal. And in fact, former Red Sox player David Ortiz has come out and even called Mike Fires a snitch in an interview yesterday. And Mike Fires has responded by saying, if they hit me, and if I'm thrown at, then I'm thrown at. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm just going to have to take it. Uh, a couple things. First of all, Mike Fires is not going to be thrown at much because he plays for an American League team. So as a result, he'll play a lot of American League teams this season. So really, I mean, if he has any beef with anybody in the National League, whenever they play at a National League team, then yes, that will be when uh, he'll get thrown at. But... What I'll say about the death, what, what about people calling him a snitch? David Ortiz coming out and calling Mike Fires a snitch. He's a hero. This this issue would have never been resolved, had or even come to light if Mike Fires just keeps his mouth shut. If he's not the whistleblower, then who is? Who comes out and says anything if Mike Fires doesn't? Now I think whenever Oakland is done with him, I I, I tend to think he's not going to get another job in baseball because he can already be safely viewed
as a guy you can't trust in the locker room. That's just my personal opinion because there's a lot of trust that goes into a locker room in any of the four sports. And there are a lot of things that I'm sure happen that we don't want to know happens in locker rooms behind closed doors. And one of them is videotaping opposing teams' catcher signs. So when Mike Fires came out, I'm sure his former Astros teammates were very upset with him, as I would have been. You blew our cover, man. You revealed the reason why we won the World Series in 2017. I get it. It makes all the sense in the world. But Mike Fires should be looked at as a hero in this case. Because now we're aware of it. No players were suspended. Nobody's hurt yet. It's just that everybody has, you know, looked at the Astros different. It's tainted. The only way to make everybody happy with this whole cheating scandal is to take away the trophy. Take away the rings from each player, and that's how you get everybody to be happy. Anything short of that, I think it's because they're not going to suspend the players because of the agreement that they had. You know, the agreement that the players had with Commissioner Rob Manfred, there's no way that they're going to suspend any players. So really the only way to make people happy is take away and vacate the championship one in 2017. I get it. It was a historic event that happened, and you sort of need to treat it as such, but I'm sorry. It's tainted. Nobody will ever look at the Astros the same way, especially that season, and even in the, their success they had the last couple of seasons, making it to back-to-back -back ALCSs and making it to this past season's World Series. It's tainted. Every bit of success they've had the last three years looks tainted now. Everything that A.J. Hinch did, everything that Jeff Lunau did, Everything that Jim Crane has done looks tainted now because of this whole cheating scandal, and that's thanks to Mike Fires. So the only people that should be upset with him are Astros players that he played with and Astros fans. Everybody else, the vast majority of the baseball world, should love what Mike Fires did. And uh, I don't know if I said that Mike Fires was the last thing, but it's not. Last thing, uh, in an interview today, Tua Tungavaloa, projected to be a very high draft pick and former quarterback at Alabama said if he had a choice uh, based on you know what teams he likes to where he could play, he would want to play for the Dallas Cowboys. So I saw a lot of shows today talk about, well, what if the Cowboys go out and trade up to draft Tua in the top five? First of all, that would be outrageously ill-informed and stupid of Jerry Jones, Stephen Jones, and the Cowboys to do if they wanted to reach and go get Tua because, first of all, they have a quarterback. They have a perfectly good quarterback in Dak Prescott. I don't think Dak Prescott is elite. I don't think he's even a top 10 quarterback. I don't even think he's the best quarterback in his own division. But he's competent. You've been to the playoffs with him. He's a two-time pro bowler. You can't throw in the towel on a guy who's only played four seasons and has been successful for you. That's why it would be stupid. It'll never happen. They would need to trade too much draft capital to get a positional player, a player for a position that they are already pretty much set at. It would be very stupid if the Cowboys traded for Dak Prescott. But we hear this all the time. Every player, even quarterbacks that come out of the draft, come out and say, 
Well, if I had a choice, I'd want to play for the Cowboys. They're the popular team to want to play for because they're the Cowboys. They're the most marketable team in the NFL. A top five most marketable team in all of professional organized sports. A lot of people grew up liking them. A lot of these players were born around the time or right after the Cowboys' last dynasty of the mid-90s. They were relevant and popular, and their parents probably rooted for Dallas. And that's probably why a lot of guys say, oh, I'd like to go play for the Cowboys. I wouldn't put much into this. Tua is going to the top five. He's not going to be drafted by the Cowboys. Uh, but it raises a big question about the future of Dak Prescott. You've heard a lot of, you heard today, Tua to the Cowboys. You've heard over the last few weeks, what if the Cowboys went and signed Tom Brady? It's awfully peculiar because Dak is a free agent, and there's talks that they want to franchise tag him. And they could go the route of Kirk of what they did with Kirk Cousins. Dak and Kirk Cousins are both former fourth-round picks, both guys that look like they could be franchise tagged after their original contract expires. Look, I'm not saying Dak's going to leave Dallas in a couple of years, but it's not completely off the table that Dak is not a long-term cowboy. I think it's it's safe to think that way. Jerry Jones has always loved to claim that he did something. Something was because of him. The reason why they never got rid of Tony Romo was because Jerry loved to say, look at me, I went out and got this kid from small school, Eastern Illinois, this undrafted quarterback, I turned him into a Pro Bowl caliber player. Look at me, I'm going to rub it in your face. So he signed Tony Romo to a bunch of extensions and Romo played his whole career in Dallas. They never got to an NFC championship game because they settled a quarterback. Romo was good, but he wasn't a Super Bowl caliber player. He wasn't a guy that you could get to a championship game with because he, he fumbled the ball a lot, threw a lot of picks, was erratic, got scared in the pocket a lot. There were a lot of reasons to upgrade on Tony Romo. Dak Prescott. I fear that the same thing is going to happen to Dak as it did to Tony Romo. And Jason Garrett. Jason Garrett wins a couple of divisions. Jerry likes him. Jerry says, look at, I found Jason Garrett as a coach. He was a player for me. He coached for me. He's won divisions with me. I'm going to keep him. He's because Tony Romo and Jason Garrett were always comfortable. And not only that, they had moderate success, so Jerry saw that as a victory for him. So he kept him. And I fear that's what he's going to do with Dak Prescott. I personally don't think the Cowboys have capabilities of winning a championship with Dak Prescott. I think he's very inconsistent, especially against good teams, teams with winning records. He's got one playoff win in four years. Zero NFC Championship appearances. This past season, they lost to almost every good team that they played. The Cowboys this year went 2-6 and six against teams with winning records. Against everybody else, they were 6-2. and two. Excellent against teams. They swept the Redskins. They swept the Giants. They beat the Dolphins. Great. <laughs> Who didn't? Dak needs to show me more against teams that are good and that are competitive 
if I want to sign this guy to be my long-term quarterback. I'm sorry. I'm still not sold on him. The Cowboys can have him. If the Cowboys want to sit and hover around 8-8, eight and 9-7 eight, and seven for the next seven years, then keep Dak around. Because you're not going to be able to keep that dynamic, star-studded roster forever. That's my thing. Jerry's going to get too attached. He got too attached to Romo. He got too attached to Jason Garrett. And they, I fear he's going to get too attached to Dak Prescott. That's just me. We'll talk more about Dak next Monday. We're off for the weekend. Uh, if you've listened so far, if you're even still listening at this point, thank you. If you've listened to any of the first three episodes, thank you. Um, I'm trying to make this a weekday-only thing, take the weekends off from having to plan anything. Um, but this has been a lot of fun so far, and I hope to continue doing it as long as the Lord's willing. So um, thank you for listening this week. You have been listening to the Jadava Show.